We move into year two of the Bible Engagement Project. We shift gears, like I said, from a 30,000-foot view into a more zoomed-in approach to God's Word, if you will. From listening to the overall story of God in all of Scripture to drilling down and learning some of the core doctrines of the Christian faith. And I can't think, and we started this morning in Bible study, I can't think of a better place to start uh, than in God's Word. And that's what we're going to be talking about to this morning and for the next four Sundays following too. Uh, the Bible, all things uh, Bible. And I want to establish from the very beginning, we'll talk about this throughout the sermon this morning, and we'll come to the very end, it'll be the very last thing, but you'll notice there at the bottom uh, of that uh, title box there is that this morning's theme is going to be that we will trust God's Word. And I, I hope and pray that that's not just uh, a nice theme for today, but that becomes the theme for your life in this year, 2022, as, that, as we move through the next five Sundays, uh, that you will gain more and more confidence in God's Word and what it says and what it means and the truth uh, that it holds. Like I said, for the next month, we will be taking a look at all things Bible, answering some of the questions that, that many people have when it comes to this book. Now, there is no way that I could answer every single question there could possibly be about the Bible uh, and the minutia of that. Like I said, I couldn't even probably exhaust that in a whole year of preaching, believe it or not. Um, but we're going to take a look at this book, or if you have your phone and or your device, this digital rendering of the book, uh, but it is more than just a book. It's more than just words on a page. I truly believe that the scriptures we have are life themselves. And I'll seek to show you why this morning through a number of scriptures that the Bible is, and Dan already mentioned this term, but the Bible is God's eternal word. And that is a really big deal, by the way. I believe that establishes the Bible's relevance, importance, and truth, that it is God's eternal word. They are the very words of life themselves. I'm drawn to this one verse at the end of John chapter 6, which is a very long chapter, by the way, but it's a very significant chapter because in that moment, and at this moment at the end of chapter 6, so many of Jesus' disciples are deserting him, walking away. All of his teaching, this is too hard for us, Jesus. We can't accept these words. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he specifically looks at Peter and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? And I love what Peter says. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? And I, I love this last part of it. You have the words that give eternal Life. Now, he's not just talking, I believe, about Jesus' words. That's what that context is all about. Jesus' words in his life uh, give life. But I believe he's talking about the word of God itself gives life. I believe, simply put, guys, as Peter affirms here in John chapter 6, the word is life. Write that one down. The word is life. The word is life sustaining us in a lost and a dying world. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody. I don't think it's a shocker. I don't think it's a bombshell that the world that we live in, the world itself is moving towards death, being no more, at least in this present state. And so we have to have something to hold on to, to cling to, 
to give our lives to that will sustain us in a lost and dying world. And I believe that we hold that very thing in our hands. It's at our disposal every single day. We have unparalleled access to God's Word in our generation, and yet some people just neglect it. Don't believe it. Don't take it to heart. Before I get too deep into things this morning, I think that we have to answer a couple of primary questions this morning uh, that set not just a stage for this morning, but for all of this month. And the question is this, and this really is the question we will deal with for the entire month. Is the Bible still relevant? Is the Bible still meaningful? Does the Bible still have anything to say to us today? And I know for many of you, you've spent countless years and countless Sundays in a church and in the pews. Maybe for some of you, you haven't, but there are some of us and we're like, my land, how many sermons have I listened to? Is there anything new underneath the sun? Is there anything that anybody could say that's going to change my life with this word? But the question, is the Bible still relevant today? And there may not be a whole lot of people who are asking that here this morning, but I guarantee you there is a world out there that's asking that question every day. And by the way, they've already arrived to the answer in their minds, and that is no. This book right here is just a dusty, crusty old book that has no relevance or meaning. It can't say anything or speak into anybody's life anymore. And so I think that we need to ask that question. It's a fair question, but I think it's a question that we can't answer. And secondly, I think the question off of that should be, why is it so important? And this is where it becomes very meaningful to us. Why is it so important to affirm the Bible's relevance in all times for all people? And that's a very important phrase, by the way. I don't believe that the Bible is just relevant in one time or, or that time over there. I believe the Bible is relevant. It's meaningful. It speaks into our life. It changes lives in all times, in all people, in all generations. I believe that. I hope you believe that too. I hope by the time we get to the end of this, you will believe that even more. Guys, I don't think that I have to do too much convincing to anybody in here this morning or anybody who's watching concerning the supreme importance of affirming the Bible in today's culture, because we live in an age, we live in a culture, we live in a day of half-truth, untruth, and out-and-out lies. I, does anybody feel that anymore, that you're like, I don't even know what to trust anymore, I don't even know who to trust anymore, because it feels like everybody's just telling lies, or half-lies at best. No one knows what or who to trust anymore, and with the standard of truth, has just slipped down this steep slope and completely fallen off the face of the earth in some people's lives. Truth has become very relative and seemingly non-existent in some people's eyes. And guys, this is why we will and this is why we need to invest a heavy amount of time over the next five weeks as we look at one of the greatest graces. This right here is not just imitation leather and really thin pages that are very, very hard to turn. And for some of us, as we get older, the words are really, really hard to read. They need to be bigger. Guys, this is one of the greatest graces that we have ever been given. This is one of the greatest revelations that humankind has ever received, the Bible. But as with all things good that are certainly a way to take and use good things in a very bad way, and when it comes down to it, guys, the usefulness of the Bible and the usefulness of Scripture and the truthfulness of Scripture comes down to, I believe, one thing, perspective. 
And I want to ask you, I'm going to put something on the screen. I want to ask you, what do you see when I put this phrase or this up here on the screen? Somebody tell me what you see. Just say it out. God is snow here? Oh, snow here. God, I, I didn't even think of that one. God is snow here, all right? That's one thing that we can see. What else did I hear? God is now here. See, you guys are way more brilliant than I am. I was like, you, I, I see two things in here. That's all I see. I didn't even see snow here. What else might you see as you read this phrase? God is nowhere. And really, I want to, to look at those two things. That, no, we'll take the snow. That was very creative, Nathaniel, by the way. I like that one. I'll use it next time. But I want to take the two other phrases that you see. I think there really are only two other ways that you can see this. God is now here, or God is nowhere. And guys, it's this simple illustration that makes my point for this morning. The right perspective makes all the difference in the world. And that's not more true than right now in the world we live in. As I've already clearly stated, we live in a world where any sort of truth is seen as sketchy at best and outright dangerous at its worst. So where in the world does this leave God's word, the truth, and what scripture is based on gives us absolute confidence that it's not just some word, it's not just another truth, it's not just any old truth, but this book right here, this Bible, God's word is the truth that we root our lives in and that we grow from. I want to start this morning by landing on a, on a verse or two that will help to guide this whole month, not just this morning. We're going to come back to these words over and over again. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Most of you are going to know these words and be very familiar with these words, but they are absolutely, absolutely important. We've already talked about these words in Bible study this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where I want you to go. It's towards the end of your Bible there, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read verses 15 and 16, and this is what Paul has to say to Timothy. You, Timothy, have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then very famously and familiarly, all Scripture is inspired by God. I did this fun thing on Bible study, but for those who weren't here to participate in it, I do this all the time. But that word there at the very beginning that says all, now you guys, you guys who are in Bible study can't cheat. Don't you say the word, don't you say it. What would you imagine the Greek from which this is translated, what does the Greek mean there when it says all? Well, thank you, who said that? Very brilliant. It means all. Every bit of scripture, every chapter, every verse, every single word is inspired and breathed out by God, and it is useful. I'm going to stop right there. Now, don't, we're going to come back to 2 Timothy 3 in week 5 at the very end of this month and talk about it at length, but I'm going to use that every single week to set everything up for us, that God's word is inspired, spoken, breathed out by hymns by him. And it has relevance and has usefulness in our lives today and for all time. There's no question about it. And now that we have established the inspired nature of God's word, and we talked about that a little bit more in Bible study, I want to go back even further because I think that there's something even more foundational about the nature of scripture that gives us confidence in God's word, that it is meaningful and that it is relevant today. And the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is that the Bible is God's 
eternal word. That is a big word there, eternal. From the beginning of time. Now I want you to go all the way back. And by the way, just a word of warning to you this morning. We're going to be moving fast and we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. So if you can't keep up, jot it down and look it up later. But I'm not lying to you, all right? I'm reading what's in here. Everybody go back to the very beginning of your Bible. So that should be pretty easy. Genesis chapter 1. We know the words very well in Genesis chapter 1. They're very familiar to us, but I want you to listen to them and notice something significant about what is said there in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God, and this word right here, we would just look right over and just keep going. Then God what? Said. Then God speaks. And I want you to combine this truth with what John tells us in his gospel very famously. We will know this, these words as well. You turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, if I get past Luke, that will help. John chapter 1, the first four verses say, in the beginning, now this, is, this, is, this adds on to what Genesis 1 says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, wait a minute, He I thought we were talking about words here, right? I thought we were talking about the Bible here. We are talking both in Genesis chapter 1 and in John chapter 1, we're talking about Jesus himself. The word, the Greek word there is logos of the Godhead. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, through the word, and nothing was created except through him. And I love verse 4. The Word, and we talked about this already, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. What, what in the world is John saying here? And don't be mistaken, John is playing on Genesis chapter 1 when he writes John chapter 1. The Word in flesh Jesus himself was there in the beginning when God created all things. In fact, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that all things were created through Jesus. All things were created through this word. All things were created when God said. Like imagine that for just a moment, guys, how powerful that is. Everything that we know, everything that we can discover was all given to us through the power of God's word. God said. And it all happened, like I said, with that word Jesus. God's best and truest word existed eternally before all things. And he gives life to all things. Guys, you cannot get more foundational and more central than that. The word. And again, like I said, I think it's with, this is the greatest spot for us to start for this year. We are given every indication in Scripture that nothing comes before the Word. But sandwiched between these testimonies in Genesis 1 and John 1 to the priority and the eternal nature of God's Word is one of the most fantastic outworkings of the purpose, efficiency, and fruitfulness of God's eternal Word. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. I won't always slow down like this. I'm, this morning I'm just going to keep on going if you don't keep up, but I want you to turn to Isaiah 55. Get that right towards the center of your Bible. 
Isaiah 55 is an amazing chapter in itself. I encourage you to read it and what it talks about there. But we come to verses 10 and 11, and I want you to hear what the prophet says. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens, and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. God is talking, or Isaiah is talking here about what we would know as kind of a water cycle, right? Rains and the water doesn't magically show up. It comes down, what he says here, from the heavens. And it does not go back up to the heavens, but it produces life on earth. In the form here, he talks of grains and, 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 and seed and bread for the hungry. Verse 11. He's, he's creating a metaphor and a picture here, guys. Verse 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Isaiah 55 tells us of the authority and the origin of the word and who it rests on for its power. Did you catch that in there? In Isaiah 55, I'm going to read these words again. Rain and the snow come down from the heavens, and then Isaiah says on behalf of God, it is the same with, now listen to this, with my word. I send it out, and it will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Are you getting a very clear message about God's word? It's not we that have the power. It is the power of God's word itself that is based on the power of God. I, me, my this is the only way that God's word works and has power. It's based on God's character and God's power itself. And here's the deal. When, when Isaiah begins to use this metaphor and this picture here, starting in verse 10, in Isaiah's day, guys, rain would have meant an awful lot, maybe even more than it means to us. We do understand that without rain, it would have meant famine and drought and then failure of crops, leading to hunger and possible starvation of death. And this is what was very unique about the land in which Isaiah lived, the land of Canaan. That's where the Israelites came into. And everything that surrounds them, Egypt that was just to the south had the Nile, right? Its source of water. Mesopotamia had the Tigris and the Euphrates. What did Canaan have? None of that. It had no natural water sources that were significant water sources. They had to depend on seasonal rain for life or death and flourishing. And guys, the point that Isaiah makes and the point that I'm really trying to make here in, what, in reading Isaiah 55 is that the Bible is what causes us to flourish in life. The Bible is what causes us to be fruitful and to grow. And sometimes, you know, you would be tempted to see this. Well, I've, I've read the Bible. I've read so many verses. I've read so many chapters. and I just don't feel like it's doing anything in my life. This is the mystery. And this is the magnificence of God's word. God's word will. It says right here in Isaiah 55. It will accomplish. It will cause to prosper. It will cause to be productive. Now, it may not... Do it immediately, but eventually God's word will do what God's word was meant to do. Guys, scripture has potency. God's word has power. 
the ability to get the job done and to accomplish what needs to be achieved. Guys, the end goal will always be the triumph of God's word. Do you hear that? It may not seem like it. It may not seem like God's word means much to your life, but the triumph of God's word will always be the end product. It will always win the day. I would say it this way. When God speaks, when God puts his word through human authors and writes to us, when he speaks, things get accomplished. Now, I know that as a dad, when I speak sometimes, not a whole lot happens. You may know that as well, too. But when God speaks, you better believe as obstinate and as rebellious as we may be, it doesn't matter. God's word has power over that, and it will happen. I love the way that another translation of this says, it says what? It says that my word goes out and it will not return void. It will not return empty. There is always fruitfulness and productivity in God's word. In the end, guys, here's the, this is the most humbling thing. In the end, we do very little. God's word does the work. We are responsible to cooperate with God and his word, but his word is what truly does the work in our lives and in the people's lives around us. So as Isaiah talks about and uses this metaphor of rain and snow and the water cycle to illustrate a guarantee of God's word to do the work, and as we consider the importance of rain in Isaiah's neck of the woods in his day, and even in that part of the world today, I want you to consider an even worse drought. And you're like, what? How in the world could that be worse than famine and starvation and possible death? There is a verse in the Bible. It comes actually in the Old Testament in one of the minor prophets that we wouldn't even pay attention, but it is one of the scariest verses that I can pick out of the Bible. Easily probably top five. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says this. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine, not a physical famine of bread or water, but of, the hearing, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but does that make you just kind of shudder a little bit when you think about that? And what was true for Amos' day and back in the time of those minor prophets, I think can be just as true of us today. That we could so neglect and reduce the Word of God that there will be a famine of God's Word in our lives. Guys, one of the, one of the worst droughts, physical droughts, ever recorded in world history came during the early 1900s in northern China. And while China has weathered numerous severe droughts throughout its history, perhaps none went as, as destructive and memorable as the drought that, listen, it lasted from 1928 to 1930. Now that literally is three years of zero rain, which some experts have called the most disastrous event in the 20th century in China. The drought led to widespread famine, claiming the lives of anywhere between 3 million and 10 million people. And this is what Amos is saying. This is what the Bible contends and makes the case for, that as bad as that is in the scope of world history, Amos is making a case that a famine of the life-giving word of God is devastating on a much greater level. 
on a spiritual and on an eternal level. Guys, to deny the power of the eternal word of God in our lives is to damage the place of eternity in our hearts. As Isaiah and so much of the rest of Scripture affirms that God's word is never wasted. Because this is what we have established to this point. The word of God has real and true power. Not just that we say that, like the word of God is power. It is really powerful. But herein lies the big problem for many people, especially Christians. We do not know the word of God, or more importantly, we do not apply the word of God, and as such, we are powerless and we lack fruit. It's a very interesting verse in Matthew chapter 22 that makes this point and makes this case. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus says this, your mistake, and he's talking to the religious leaders, but I think he could very well be talking to Christians today. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. The word of God is powerful in and of itself. It has the power to transform. It has the power to change. It changes perspective. It changes the way that we live. A little later in Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says this, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says very famously, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. But guys, the Bible is not just grounded in its eternality, its eternal nature. It also stands on this other really big word that we probably don't use in our vocabulary every single day. It's infallibility. God's word is infallible which is to say that God's word is reliable and it is trustworthy, it is unable to mislead, and it is incapable of error. That's what infallibility really means, guys. The Bible is exclusive in its infallible and unfailing nature. It cannot be mistaken about anything. All recorded history and all spiritual certainties in Scripture bear full truth. It is incapable of error of any sort. And you know, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of skeptics out there that will scour the Word of God seeking any and all perceived inaccuracies. Oh, I found something there. But year after year, and decade after decade, and century after century, the Bible has withstood the human-centered tests of people. In every single case, the Bible is proven to be true, infallible. And again, we dealt with this this morning on Bible study, but yes, human men wrote the Bible, and it's liable to their fallible nature, and men are fallible, but the Bible is indisputable in its infallibility. God preserved his intended message to us as the Bible has passed through the ages, through several different authors. Its exact uniformity, even though it was written by 40 men from three different continents over 2,000 years. God made sure that what we hold here today, what we have here today, what all of us have at our disposal is complete and true for what we need to live 
a life that pleases him. Guys, the Bible is a timeless source of wisdom for all walks and all stages of life. The Bible is not a cultural book. It uses people of different cultures to express enduring truths of God and humanity. It is true for all people in all times and for all time. There is never a moment where the Bible becomes irrelevant or useless or not meaningful. We return to that question again. Is the Bible still relevant today? Is there any real, lasting, enduring truth to the Bible? And the answer to those questions lie in what we've already talked about, right? In its infallibility, in its eternality, and in the character of its, ultimately, uh, its ultimate author. Guys, we trust God's attributes. As we read the Bible, we find out this is really what the Bible is about, right? It is God's way of revealing himself to us. And we trust God's attributes. We trust his holiness, his whole character. He is the very source of truth. He defines our reality by his word. And it's because of this we can trust we possess his unfailing word. Guys, to say that the Bible can mislead or deceive someone is like saying God is not who he says he is. I, I, just a sample this morning, I want to give you about four things about God's character that illuminates the power and authority of his word. Guys, God is first and foremost, like not first and foremost, but among many things, God is perfect. You want to look that up and you want to see about God's perfection, Matthew 5.48, jot it down, go look at it later. And if God is perfect, it would hold that there is nothing in his word that would not be perfect and fruitful. Not only is God perfect, but God is independent. He needs no one else. Let me, let me give you a really fancy word here, boys and girls. When you talk about God's independence, the theological word for that is aseity. All right? You walk around and try to figure out how to put that in the conversation this week, and I'll give you 10 bucks. Aseity is what that's called, being independent. Again, look up Isaiah 40, 13 through 14. No, he, he depends on no one, nothing else to gain his meaning, which leads us to the truth that his word, being perfect, is the source of all wisdom and truth. There is nothing outside of God's word that God's word needs to depend on it for truth. God is not just perfect, not, God is not just independent, but God is infinite. We talked about that in Genesis chapter 1. In John chapter 1, go read Psalm chapter 90 verse 2, what it has to say about God's infinite nature. Nothing has existed before God, and even more, as long as God has existed, the Word has existed, and all things have been made and find their meaning in that Word. And the last thing, very quickly, I want to talk about is that God is not just perfect. He is not just independent. He is not just infinite, but He is unchangeable. Another big word, boys and girls. Maybe this will be easier to work into a conversation. Immutable is the actual theological word for unchangeable. Again, see Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. God and his word is the most steady and consistent thing that you could ever find and follow. Why in the world do you think people today flounder and flop around trying to find truth everywhere and anywhere? It's because you will only find the unchangeable, rock-solid truth of God right here. 
Every bit of authority that God's word has is based on the traits and the truths of God. Within all of these truths about God, we can be sure that what he has for us in his word is true and it is good. What we believe about God and what we believe about the Bible are intertwined and interconnected and cannot be separated. What we know about God comes directly from his word to us. And the infallibility of God's word is what gives Scripture its infallibility and such precedence. This is a very interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 6. I'll get to it here really quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says this. Uh, there we go. So God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable. There's that idea again. Because it is impossible for God to lie. You see, infallibility has to do with the one who makes the claim in whatever form it's made. In this case, God is the one who makes every claim in this book right here. He cannot lie. In him there is no inconsistency. There is no change that would lead to error or need for revision. And if the Bible is God's word to us and he cannot lie, then his word also must be incapable of error. And it's this infallibility it's the eternality of God's word that we've already talked about that leads us to, I believe, that this is so, so super important. This is where it all rests in my mind. The authority of God's word in our life. And what is really at stake in the world today and what's at stake not just in your life but in my life too is, is a really, really big question. Does the Bible have any sway in my life does it have any right to have first place in my life? Is it really the authority in my life? One theologian, his name is Stanley Grin, says it this way, Whatever authority the Bible carries as a trustworthy book, it derives from the trustworthiness of the divine revelation it discloses and ultimately from the Spirit who infallibly speaks through it. In declaring the trustworthiness of the Bible, therefore, you must keep in mind that it is ultimately not the book itself we are affirming. Rather, we are confessing our faith in the Spirit who speaks His revelatory message through the pages of Scripture. In declaring the Bible's infallibility, we are actually affirming the trustworthiness of the Spirit whose vehicle the Bible is. And that is so very important, and I encourage you to go look up John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, where Jesus talks about, I'm leaving this world, guys, but I'm sending one who will lead you into all truth, and that person is the Holy Spirit. A man by the name of John Bailey says the Scriptures are holy, and they have authority because they are the vehicle through which the gospel is communicated to us. So I was listening to a sermon uh, this week by a man named John Jenkins Sr., and he says this. I love how he said this. We put our total confidence in the scriptures as the final authority. I wouldn't just say final, the first and the final authority for our lives. Guys, we, we need to have a level of confidence for why we let the words of the Bible direct and control our lives. This confidence is necessary because the enemy, Satan himself, is always and forever aiming his guns at trying to destroy the truthfulness and the authority of Scripture. He's been doing that from the very beginning, and he will never stop. And as such, guys, we must be 
people who are governed by the principles of this book, governed by the principles of our God. We must decide, each of us, how we are going to view the Bible, a truth among many truths, which is no truth at all, by the way, or the truth above all truths, and the authority by which we are going to live our lives and be guided into all truth. Guys, in today's culture, tolerance and relativism and distrust call into question the Bible's trustworthiness and truthfulness. It's under attack by those who would deny its author, its infallibility, its commands, its authority over our lives. As Christians, we hold to the truths and we hold to the tenets of God's Word and we live by the Lord's commands as outlined in Scripture. I just want to close very quickly with three, I feel like, are very practical practical things to take a hold of the power and the productivity and the authority of God's Word. And the first one is this. We need to and you need to devote yourself to the reading and to the study and most importantly, I believe, to the application of Scripture in your lives. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 has this to say about this concept. Until I get there, Paul says to Timothy, what does he say? Focus on reading the Scriptures. Reading them to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Guys, it's no mistake that the primacy of God's Word in the community of God in the church is all over Scripture. You see it from the very beginning. As Moses reads God's laws and God's Word to the community and the people of Israel, Josiah, one of the youngest kings in Israel's history, after years of the Word being neglected, they, they rediscover it in the temple, and he breaks it out, and do you know what he does? He just starts reading it and reading it and reading it. These guys are going to sit there, and they're going to listen to this. Ezra, after the exile and coming back, reorganizes the people and gives them their identity and they recover their heritage by the reading of God's Word. And in early church practice, it was always, always the case, and oftentimes the case, I should say, that the early church would read a passage or a part of the Old Testament, and they would read a part of the New Testament, and they would read a part of the Gospels. That's what they did when they met to devote ourselves to the reading and the study and the application of Scripture. But it's not just about that. I think what we also need to do, guys, is we also need to remember it, remember the Word. We need to remember where it came from, who gave us that Word, and we need to pass it on. You, re you remember uh, when Paul talks to Timothy, Timothy has two very special people in his life, doesn't he? Lois and Eunice. And Paul talks about those ladies, and he talks throughout 2 Timothy about the concept and the importance of remembering the Word and where it came from. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois, there they are, and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. And we already read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And then he continues on, or actually we go back one chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says this, You have heard me, Timothy, teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now take these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to other people. 
One person, Kevin DeYoung, preacher Kevin DeYoung, says it's not necessarily... I want you to listen to this, by the way. Because I think we have a, a tendency in our lives and in the world that we live in today that if you believe in something and you believe in that thing your entire life, then you're just a fool. You're just a simpleton. And he says this, it is not necessarily a sign of growth to move past the faith of your childhood. And it's not necessarily a weakness to believe the same thing throughout your whole life. What an inestimable privilege to be acquainted from childhood with the sacred writings of the Bible. Don't just devote yourself to it. Don't just remember it and then pass it on. But what we really need to do in our lives, guys, is to let the Word of God, as Paul would say in Colossians 3, dwell in us to let it inform our every thought and our move and our action and our attitude. Literally what Paul is saying in Colossians 3 when he says, let the word of God dwell richly in you, is he says to let the word make a house in you. Guys, make the word your litmus test for everything. Do not just examine the word, but allow the word to examine you. Guys, God's word is powerful to accomplish his purposes and so we must be a people of the word got a picture up here i don't know if you recognize this guy or not but uh who is this it's old george foreman in george foreman's book god in my corner the former heavyweight boxing champion writes in 1974 before i went to africa to fight muhammad ali a friend gave me a Bible to take along on my trip. He said, George, you keep this book with you for, get this, for, for good luck. He said, I believe the Bible was just a shepherd's handbook, probably because the only verse I knew was the Lord is my shepherd. But I was always looking for luck, and so I carried that Bible with me. I had lucky pennies, and I had good luck charms, and so now I added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. And after I lost that fight, I threw that Bible away. I never even opened it. I thought the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get power simply from owning the Bible. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. Since then, I've come to understand that the Bible is my roadmap it is not my good luck charm. You see, what the problem is for most people is that they believe that this is just looks really great on the coffee table at home or looks really good on the nightstand right next to the bed. Oh, never really understand. I have to open this. And I don't just have to open this. I actually have to read this. And I don't just have to read this. I actually have to know it and understand it and let it dwell in me and change my life. I have to let it examine me. That is where the power of God's Word comes from. The Word is eternal. The Word is infallible. It is consistent with God's character. It is the unquestioned authority in our lives and in all people's lives. It is able to guide us and to lead us into all truth. And because of that, guys, we will trust God's Word. I encourage you... Thank you for being here this morning, but I want you to 
join next week as we talk about what this trust looks like and we build on this concept of trust, what it looks like modeled in the life of Jesus and how that trust leads to a life of obedience and to a life of fruitfulness. Will you pray with me? Lord, that is the prayer, that is the plea, that is our hope. That is my hope for every person in here, every person watching is that Your Word would not just be ink on a page. Your Word would not just be really nice, although they may be true, just maxims or little proverbs or little catchphrases, but that Your Word is powerful. And it has been and it is powerful enough to change lives. Every single life in here can be and will be changed by the Word. And so I pray that we would take this word that we have been entrusted with and that we would pass it on so that we could see more and more lives changed. May we, over the course of this month and over this entire year, Lord, may we base our lives on your word, on your truths, on your eternal, infallible, authoritative word. And may we see the fruit that results and comes from that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.